Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi, one of the associate pastors for West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Reconciling Grace. On our panel today, we have Steve Wilson. Steve is an author, and he's a graduate of United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. Vicki Cundiff, one of the staff pastors for Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. And leading our discussion today is going to be Mick Wells. Mick is the president of Wells of Salvation Ministries, and he is one of the co-hosts of the Cross Connection radio program. So Mick, we have a parable that you're going to be teaching us about today, or at least leading the discussion about. Uh, what's that parable going to be about? Well, this is about the prodigal son. And uh, I think if there were ever a single parable or teaching from the Bible that illustrates our program's name, Reconciling Grace, I think of this mm-hmm. one. And I can relate to it personally. Perhaps a lot of our listeners can, too. Um, parables are interesting. I'd like to just make some introductory comments about parables. Uh, the commentator Matthew Henry from years ago says, parables make things of God more plain and easy to those willing to be taught, and at the same time more difficult and obscure to those who are willfully ignorant. And that's an interesting scenario. Have you ever known some, two people to witness the same thing and they come away with different impressions? Sure. <laughs> that's what came to mind when, when I, I, I saw this. And it, it's, it's fascinating. And uh, Jesus uh, wove together and presented this parable to a wide range of uh, uh, audience participants, if you will, sure. listeners. And you have to believe that some of them understood the truths that were being taught, the principles that the Lord wanted to share and for his followers to understand. And yet you have to believe there were uh, non-believers who listened to this and they couldn't understand it and rejected it. And that was Jesus's intent. I, I read another source that said parables were the perfect vehicle for Jesus' purposes because they either reveal or conceal the message depending on the state of the person's heart. They reveal the truth to those who are open to it but conceal it from those who aren't ready for it yet. Well, let's go straight to the Word. Uh, I've got a passage here, Matthew 13, verses 10 to 13, and I've asked Pete to uh, share that with us. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. I think that the the key to this is to Uh, be attuned to God and let the Spirit guide people in accepting and receiving uh, the messages that are coming through in parables. 
another person has said, here Jesus tells us that he's speaking in parables to hide the secrets of the kingdom from some and reveal them to others. And those who take up their cross gain more access to kingdom truth. Those who reject him lose whatever insight they had, which is probably a paraphrase said, whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. So we get to this parable of the prodigal son. And <clears throat> it's basically, for, for you listeners out there, I want you to understand that if you feel like there's distance between you and God, or if you've consciously walked away from God, this parable is for you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal what God wants revealed to you in this, in this parable. So um, let's talk a little bit about, my Bible says this is the parable of the lost son. It didn't use the word prodigal. I've used the word prodigal all my life, haven't you? Mm -hmm. But only in connection with this. Because I didn't know what prodigal meant. I had to go look it up. I thought it was somebody who just left everything and took off. That's what prodigal meant to me. Prodigal actually means, according to the dictionary, spending money or resources freely and recklessly or wastefully extravagant. So when we talk about the prodigal son, we're not talking so much about the fact that he took off for a distant land. The, the term prodigal is referring to what he did with what he received from his father that, that he asked for. And let's keep in mind as we read through this parable, too, that Jesus presented it to an audience that included not just his followers or people looking to be healed or looking for a miracle or looking to be fed. The audience included, according to the scriptures, tax collectors, sinners. Now, let me apologize to anybody out there working for the Internal Revenue Service but tax collectors and sinners are usually coupled together <laughs> in the Bible. In this case, they were part of Jesus' audience. Also, Pharisees and teachers of the law. So let's take a look at what the Bible tells us about the parable of the lost son. And uh, Vicki, would you read Matthew, excuse me, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 16. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Okay, thank you. Uh, Steve, could you share with us the follow-on verses 17 through 21? When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This um, particular parable is just laced with uh, the application of, of grace. There is a reconciliation here uh, with the family, if not the, the brother, at least with the father and his household. And so there is a celebration that takes place. Now, as we look at parables, any parable, I think that it's incumbent upon us, well, we would naturally try to make analogies and how does this apply to people in real life. And I, I ask the Lord when I read a parable, what do you want to reveal to me? Because I want to know what you're wanting to teach. Well, certainly the people in this parable, there's a representation in the minds of, of any reader or hearer of this parable. So I'll just throw this out. Who do you think the Father represents in this parable? God. God the Father. Yeah, God mm -hmm. the Father. Yep. Yep. Consensus on that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe so too. And even though he says, I've sinned against my Father and against heaven, I believe this is representing what we're to see in terms of how God would treat us or a similar situation. Sure, sure. Okay, who does the lost son represent? Which one is lost? <laughs> That's a good question too, Pete. Yeah. The, the prodigal son. That would represent those who um, either went away from the family of God. It could represent probably the tax collectors and sinners. In fact, if you look at it in context, I think it might represent the tax collectors as much as anything because the tax collectors in that culture were Jewish people mm -hmm. who were basically shunned by the rest of the Jewish culture because they were out working for the Roman government. And so he told this parable, and knowing that 
there was a tax collector amongst his apostles named Matthew or Levi, whichever one you want him to go by. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this could be many people, but it's basically anybody who is away from God. But specifically here in this case, I think that it uh, most closely was about those people who were of Jewish heritage who had gone away from God, but who had decided to come back. Oh, okay. Steve, any thoughts? I agree. Well, as I see it, it's somebody who's consciously decided to live for themselves right, and to walk away and have nothing to do with God. And I can only imagine what the Father was going through. Um, questions pop into my mind. He, it says he gave uh, to this lost son his share of the estate. He divided, the father divided the property between them. Well, what was the estate? You think of it in terms of cattle and land and houses, things like that. But part of it, he must have had to liquidate part of it Mm -hmm. to give this uh, wayward son something to squander, which which he indeed did. Um, And even in that, that's uncommon. You know, usually after death, you get your inheritance, and it was that it was that way back then too. And so he went and asked for something that really wasn't rightfully his yet. Yes, and that's an interesting thought. Could we do the same today uh, in terms of our own inheritance as part of the family of God? But that's uh, something we can explore after after the break. Right. Here, we Pete. do need to take a quick break for our sponsor, and we'll be right back with reconciling grace. Welcome back to Reconciling Grace, and we're discussing the parable of the prodigal son in this uh, session. And before the break, we talked about uh, people all have an interest in relating to parables. They want to relate it to themselves. They want to understand how God's teaching applies to their lives. And and I, I think we run up against some uh, we can and can't, some things we can do, some things we can't do. For example, this uh, wayward son asked for his inheritance from his father. Well, um, as Christians, our inheritance is really in heaven. It's not something God's going to break in uh, and give us in, in this life. So we have to be careful about how far we take um, or how far we go in trying to relate to a parable. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about the older brother. What do you think he represents? I believe that in the scripture that we talked about, uh, he was talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I think those are the ones who um, always held to the tradition, always followed what they believed God said, especially the Word of God in uh, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and they followed the rules, and by following the rules, well, by golly, they were in good standing with God. Yeah, I was thinking, too, of, uh, have you ever run into people that were questioning whether God would accept somebody who asked for forgiveness and became converted late in life, that did they really deserve uh, what God had for Christian people? You know, there's almost a, a selfishness uh, that comes through here, and, and uh, Steve, I think you had some thoughts on that too. Well, it kind of goes to 
uh, as Christians, how willing are we to welcome people in when we know their past? Or uh, when people in our fellowship sin, how easy it is, is it for us to um, restore them and, and respect them as equals again in the family of God? You know, we kind of have that older brother mentality where we can be judgmental against other people even after they've repented. Yeah. What strikes me or a memory of mine is the passage where Jesus was basically not accepted in his own hometown because they were thinking, hey, I know you, you, you're not supposed to be doing these types of things. So, um, yeah, good point. Anybody else have a thought? Well, I just think we have to be careful about being self-righteous mm-hmm. um, because that's the way the religious leaders was. You know, they looked really good on the uh, outside, but inside they were very judgmental and hateful and unloving. And we have to be careful that we're not going to judge people and not remember uh, what we were like when, you know, back before we came to Christ. But even since then, God is still working on us and trying to show us because we've got a problem if we're being judgmental you know we need Mm -hmm. to do something about that and be careful about that absolutely well you know we pretty well nailed down a a consensus on what the father the lost son and the older brother represent one interesting aspect of this parable says the father describes his wayward son as having been both dead and lost now I'll just throw this out. What, what, if anything, does this suggest concerning the security of our salvation? And what does the por- parable portray in terms of our free will? Well, this is one of the things that makes this particular passage near and dear to my heart. Um, first of all, I do need to make a disclaimer that I am coming at this from a Wesleyan understanding of Christianity. This does not in any way, shape, or form say that, for instance, um, our brothers and sisters who who are from, say, for instance, Calvinistic leanings are wrong, and I'm right, and or they are right, and I am wrong. We're all part of the family of God if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the most important thing. The rest of this is doctrine and theology, and this is how I see it. But I see this particular passage as a perfect example of what it means to be saved, because... The son was part of the family, and you see, that's what I see salvation as. It's part of a relationship with God, Mm -hmm. part of that family where we have been adopted as children of God. Now, what would have happened in this parable had that younger son chosen to never come back, Mm -hmm. chosen to stay away? Then he would have um, not become part of the family again. However... By his own choice, he left. It wasn't that, hey, he messed up and, you know, you're no son of mine anymore because you didn't live the right way. Mm -hmm. No, by his own choice, he left. And he could have stayed in that condition had he chosen to do so. But he came back, and I believe that this also shows the willingness of God, the Father, to take back the person who comes to him as a penitent sinner. And that person was taken back, and he was, again, part of the family. I've heard so many people quote the scripture that say that if you belong to God, nobody can snatch you out of, out of your hand. Now, would, did anybody snatch him out of his father's hand? No. no. And I, I think that's significant. And 
even though we're approaching this in terms of discussion from our respective backgrounds, I think we have to remind ourselves occasionally to, to not to force fit this into a, a doctrine that we've embraced, but let the scripture speak to us. And when the father said, this son of mine was lost and he was dead and it was by his own choosing, I, I think that's significant. And nobody snatched him away from his father. He walked away voluntarily and he squandered what he was given and yet he was, was received back. And, and to say that he was dead and lost is talking spiritually. I think so. He was so. spiritually dead and he was lost in his sins without Christ. Yeah. And he was separated from the family all the while that until he decided, hey, I'm going to eat crow and I'm going to go back and I'm going to, well, I'm going to quit eating these pods that the pigs are eating and I'm going to go home because what my, uh, the servants had it better uh, than I've got it in, in this distant land. Now, I noted that in Luke 15, which we uh, read to you, the prodigal son parable, there are a couple other parables in that chapter that precede this, and they deal with lost things that were found. Uh, earlier in the chapter, Jesus had presented the parable of a lost sheep. And the word tells us, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Um, I noticed that in the case of the lost son, the prodigal son, the father did not leave his family to go out and search for him. Do you see any significance in that, or is that just a minor detail? I, I would say it's one of the minor details, personally, because that's one of those things where I believe that we talked a little bit about this in the break, that sometimes you're not going to be able to get every single word of a parable to have a spiritual ramification because mm -hmm. a parable is trying to describe something that is of God and no earthly circumstance is ever going to be exactly the same way that it is in our um, kingdom of God. I think that's a point well made. Well, and he started off with the one you just read about the sheep and leaving the 99 to go out and find the, the one. And then he came to the lost coin and how yes. she searched everywhere to find the coin. And now the son is lost and he comes back home. And the point of all these together, he was telling these back to back, at least as, as we see it, you know, as it's recorded mm -hmm. in the Bible. The point he's trying to make is, you know, what C.S. Lewis has said, God is the hound of heaven. <laughs> he is pursuing us. Yes. And he wants us found. He loves us. He wants us to forgive us. And so the point of all of it all together, you know, because we can dissect a, the prodigal son and find all kinds of good meat in there. But the point of all of that together is God is searching for the lost. He wants everyone to be saved and brought into the kingdom of God. Right. And even in this case, the uh, father was looking for the son, watching for the son. So... Um, in a sense, he actually left his home, like left his home porch, because he went out and saw the sun when he was still a long way off. So there were still active things there. Well, that meant a lot to me because there was a time in my life, and I said this with my testimony some weeks ago, where I kind of got disgusted with the church, if you will, the organized church. But I, and I wandered away from the church, but I didn't wander away 
from God. And I think uh, it's really meaningful to me to see here that God is waiting on us. He's wanting right. us mm -hmm. uh, to return. I think the scripture says that, if I can't quote it off the top of my head, the Father saw him from a long way off. Mm -hmm. You know what that means? He was looking for right, him constantly, right. even though he didn't leave his family and go out. He was looking for him way down the road. And then there was, of course, uh, a joyous reunion. And that's the way we would be as parents as well. If we had a child that wasn't with us and we were wanting them to come back home, we would do the same thing. We would be looking for them uh, to come back home. But I also think that this is an example to us that we need to pursue people. You know, just like God was pursuing, you know, with the, she was searching for the coin and, and going out for the lost sheep and, and everything. We also, as Christians, need to, you know, come out of this comfort zone or whatever and really get out there and start pursuing people and winning them to Christ. I think this, this is an example of that. Now, recognizing that uh, parables reveal things to uh, seekers with willful hearts and conceal things from those who are unbelievers or have want nothing to do with God. Recognizing that, what do you think, since Jesus opted not to explain this parable, you know he explained the parable of the sower, but in this one he opted not to explain it. So what aspects of this parable do you think were intended to be concealed from unbelievers? I like the fact that he leaves it open-ended, though. You know, he's talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and we've established he's comparing them to the older brother, and you kind of leave it wondering, does the older brother go in? Yeah, as I die wonder. Does he celebrate the coming home of his younger brother? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the, the question that Jesus leaves ringing in the ears of his hearers. Hey, Pharisees, hey, teachers of the law, are you going to extend grace to the sinners and the tax collectors who are listening to me um, the same way that the Father wants to. Sure. And I, I think that can that purpose can be served through uh, listening to this parable from the standpoint of those, of those folks. You know, it's hard to argue from silence, especially when you're talking about things in the Bible, but I often am impressed, kind of like what you just said, Steve, about the things that aren't said, the things that aren't explained, because I think that's purposely done. I mean, Let's face it, the Word of God is the Word of God, and I believe that God knows what He wanted in it, and to make it with a certain ending, and they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> you know, that's not the Bible. That's that's a fairy tale. That's right. And and we have that open-ended question just because of what, what Steve said. It's because there's an open-ended question, and we need to decide what to do with that. What do you think that our radio listeners should take away from this if they feel like they've wandered away from God, if they feel distance there, or if they've done something they feel uh, ashamed and even unworthy to approach God? There's a great hesitance there because they don't feel like they're, they're worth being able to be received by God. What does this parable teach about God's character and his reconciling grace in those kinds of circumstances? There was a conversation I had with a, a man once. He said, I don't think God could ever forgive me. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I said, so your sins are greater than God's grace. 
That's basically what you're saying. You think that your sins are greater than God's grace, greater than Christ's sacrifice for you. And, and so I would say, you know, anyone who's walked away from God, just remember that that father was waiting, anticipating that son coming home, and he welcomed him with open arms. Yes. And, and the, the son also, remember it said that he felt so unworthy and he didn't go back at once. He felt bad about what he did, but he went and got a job and he got really desperate. But I'll just go be a servant. So he felt unworthy, but look what he got when he got there. Because like you said, everyone is welcome. Yep. And he was reconciled to his father through mm-hmm. grace, reconciling grace. Mick, I thank you for sharing about the prodigal son today. This is Pete Vecchi for Mick Wells, Steve Wilson, and Vicki Cundiff. Thank you for joining us today for Reconciling Grace. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.